0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: In order to keep growing, we need to create the world outside of the planet. So if we build a space elevator, this would allow us to kind of like to take a train to, I mean, to lower orbit. I'm not saying Jupiter, I'm saying lower orbit. Where,
0: where the space stations are. Hello and welcome to The World As It Should Be, a podcast in which we ask our guests to tell us what they would change to help create their perfect world. By listening
2: to what they'd like to change, we'll hear more about who they are, what they do and what inspires them.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the team behind Prima Donna, a uniquely anarchic and joyous festival of everything creative.
2: My name is Shona Abianka, and I'm a book publicist working with some of the most thought-provoking authors writing today.
0: I'm Catherine Riley, a writer and director of the festival. We're delighted to be your guides on this podcast adventure. The world as it should be from Prima Donna. Author Paula Aloychirac was born in Buenos Aires and now lives in Barcelona. She has written three novels and is a regular contributor to the New York Times, El Pai and La Nación.
2: In 2010, she was chosen as one of Granta's best young Spanish novelists. And more recently, she won the Eccles Centre and Hay Festival Writers Award.
0: Polar's most recent book Mona is about to be published in the UK. It was chosen as the best book of the year by the New York Public Library, Book Forum, AV Club, Lit Hub, Thrillist and Redbook. Quite a list. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Welcome. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. It's It's lovely to have you.
0: You're over in Barcelona at the moment.
1: Yes, yes, I'm living in Barcelona. Just right, I moved here like right before the pandemic, so I kind of arrived, and two weeks afterwards, the confinement started. So it was quite a way oh to get here. And
2: what tempted you to Barcelona?
1: Well, I was kind of like uh, running away from Argentina because things had gotten a little rough. Um, because you know there was this government change and etc., and I knew that it was going to be like I mean complicated for journalists working there, and and well, it has. So a lot of people are fleeing Argentina right now, even if they are not journalists, just because there is mm. like you know a massive crisis, which is quite cyclical at, at the same time. Like we're kind of like used to it, but yeah, it's it's horrifying. So if you can't, I mean, most people who can just leave. Mm. So we're kind of like populating
2: the world, like Argentines all around. But your family are back in Buenos Aires, are they?
1: Yeah, I mean, my mom is in Buenos Aires, my dad's in Buenos Aires, and yeah, my, my,
0: yeah and my friends are there. <laughs> you're settled now in Spain, you're enjoying it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, it's quite lovely here. It's, um, yeah. uh, I don't know, we have a little community of, you know, I don't know, of, of not necessarily experts, but like, I mean, Latin American people that, uh, that live in Barcelona and, and it feels like, you know, it's, 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 it's very lively. It feels like as if it was Buenos Aires, but like without all the drama, <laughs> without, <laughs> without, you know, all, all the terrible things that had happened, as if, if, as if Buenos Aires had kept growing and like being awesome and everybody's happy. So it's, it's quite nice. And there's the beach.
0: Yeah. That's a great strap line for Barcelona, Barcelona tourism, <laughs> like Buenos Aires. Without all the <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just send <it> over. <laughs> um, so, tell us about um, tell us about Mona. Tell us about your book. What, what, what's it about? What do you want it to achieve?
1: So, I I, I started writing Mona, um, and and I and I wanted to do a book really centered on, on this woman character who would. Um, would have like this avidness for the world, but at the same time, you know, have to be like in professional places as such as, you know, I mean, she's a writer, she goes to Sweden because she's going to this literary festival. At the same time, like she's getting into trouble as as any, you know, young woman would do as in, you know, like, I don't know, getting seduced by people and like having drugs and, and at the same time, like running away from something that she does, she's not really sure what it is. But I also, one of the things that I really wanted to do was um, I had been like, you know, when I was growing up, like reading, you know, Henry Miller and Bukowski and, and Martin Amis and all these guys that were kind of like the bohemians, you know, of, of, of bohemian writers that were like you know having amazing lives and at the same time you know like drinking and, and writing poems on the backside of you know the, the, <laughs> the lady friends and I was like no oh, I mean there are no like female characters like that who are also you know like enjoying themselves in the world and like kind of like being I mean like getting into travel massively um, but also like being really concerned about you know like what is to be I mean a creative person in, in the world and what is to be a creative woman in the world so so I really wanted to explore that to have that kind of a character and so that was kind of like what what organized Mona
0: there, you you mentioned it then and there, there's like these brilliant caricatures of like literary fellows and and uh, people who are literary greats in some way or another like one one of them Quotes as in his speech, like just copies, plagiarizes. It's a Beckett. Just reads out chapters, uh, paragraphs of somebody else's work as a flagrant kind of plagiaristic moment, and gets away with it because he's just considered to be a great writer. How fun was it to to send up that kind of literary world to 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 kind of poke poke fun at it?
1: Well, I mean, I've been having a lot of fun. And at the same time, I used to, I mean, have a terrible time because I was super nervous. I didn't know how to, I was very anxious socially. I didn't know how to engage, which is, you know, which is very normal when you are, you know, among humans and, 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 and well, and, you know, you're alone and it's days and days, et cetera. And, and one of the things that really helped me to, to move better in this world was just, I mean, to treat everybody as a character. So when I arrived in a place, I was like, "Oh, great!" So my my novel is my life. So I'm meeting the character. He's doing this. He's doing that. So so the reality became enchanted for me, and and it's it's kind of like I mean a way that I kept on doing like so every, you know if I go to a place like I don't get bored anymore because I just feel like okay, so this character is doing this. I mean, she wants me to notice something or there's something going on behind. And so I just keep, you know, this is, I mean, this is helpful and, and, and kind of healing for me. And, and so, well, and at the same time, like, of course, I would like after like having all these experiences, I would just, you know, go back to bed and write or take notes all the time. And so this, this was like really a, a way to be alive in the world and writing at the same time because I would be taking notes all the time. And that's also a beautiful thing um, that I think I learned from Shabok Shishek, which is this, I mean, fantastic philosopher. Um, he says that kind of the secret to write is never to write. You're either taking notes or editing the notes, but there's no like writing <laughs> moment. <laughs> At the same time, I love the writing moment because the writing moment is like, oh, this phrase, like tuning it up and like making it beautiful. That's, I mean, that's a really, really fun part of it. But if you want to strip out of that and just like take, I mean, like, like the meat, you can just like stick to taking notes and editing the notes. And then, you know, the book will, will be, you know, at some point you will have a book. So it's awesome. Yeah. And so fun.
2: do you have characters in the novel which you've had to disguise because they're based on people? Oh, yes. I, I love doing that. <laughs>
1: because it's like you, I don't know, it's like you have this person and and you're like dressing them up and and it's, it's very fun. Like, like, um, because I I wouldn't want anyone to, to feel offended. And at the same time, I think that people that would feel offended would also kind of like love the fact that, that, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I look nauseous. So what's so bad about that? (laughs) And so I, 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 I don't know. I like I like that part. I, I like, you know, to, I don't know, to connect with humans in that sense because it's beautiful to kind of be out there and, and, I don't know, and be horrible sometimes, you know, and, like, there's some vanity out of it. And, well, you know, you were horrible, but maybe you are going to make a great character in someone's book. Yeah, but they were memorable. Yeah. That's the thing,
2: isn't it? They say Absolutely. that indifference is worse because I, nobody really remembers.
1: Yeah, so I, I save them. I take them to literally, I mean, heaven in the form of a book. <laughs> There's some redemption for their horribleness.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. We, as you know, run a literary festival, so I'm already thinking of just record, like putting a recorder in the green room next year, <laughs> this <laughs> summer rather than making a novel very quickly in that way. But one of one of the people that co-founded our festival, Kit, Duval, is, who's a novelist as well, she says, uh, don't fuck with writers, we'll describe you, <laughs> which is exactly. basically what you're saying as well. It's a really good line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very,
1: very uh, tricky people. Very. <laughs> yeah. when you kind of, did you have
2: a notebook? So when you were meeting all these people, were you kind of then scurrying off and scribbling something they said? because You don't want to forget it.
1: I don't think I even like go out without my notebook everywhere <laughs> with me. Like I say, like, yeah, I moved to the kitchen, I'm making a Pavlova right now, I have the notebook with me. It, anywhere I go, it's just like it's there, it's gonna be recorded, so watch out. Dedication. <laughs> well don't what write ha- about us, please.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're too beautiful. I'm just but I need more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got time. Let's strap in. <laughs> what kind of pavlova are you making just you know, whilst we're talking about baking? <gasps>
1: I, uh, well, I'm making the, the strawberry pavlova. The, well, oh. this is a recipe by Nigella Lawson that I love. Oh, Nigella is.
2: Nigella,
0: good. yeah, she's wonderful. Great. Yeah. Amazing. I'm so annoyed this is virtual.
2: Oh, <laughs> Have you made her. Um, I'll tell you my favorite cake, Nigella's chocolate Guinness cake. Oh, I haven't tried that one. It's amazing. Like, it's in, in a book called Feast.
0: Oh, okay. 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 Sure. So this is the third time Shona's mentioned this, book, this cake. Sorry, this week, and it's her birthday soon. So she keeps talking about this cake. I'm going to have to fucking make this cake, and I
2: I have to wait till April. I can't wait. Oh, April so- is the, best, the coolest month, but it's the best month as well. It is. It's your
1: birthday, oh, in April. Wow. So nice. No, no, my, no. I was just putting you know, T.S. Eliot, but but well, no. I, my my birthday is on. Um, it's on September, September
2: 13th. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's my, my mother's birthday. So that's also oh, a very good day. Anyway. Perfect day. <laughs> um,
0: one of the things I wanted to ask you about before we move on to your, your three things is um, – you obviously you write in Spanish. You, you, that is your first language, but um, and so you, the the version of your book that I read was translated. How closely do you? I'm just interested in that process. Like, how closely do you work with a translator? how do, How do you make sure that the what you're trying to say is is accurately captured by a translator writing in a different language?
1: Yeah. Well, I uh, work very closely with with Adam, who's an absolute genius. Um, right. We, we became friends in San Francisco, and and he's so. I mean he knows very well the contemporary culture and he would like, he, he would, the thing is when you're writing a book that has humor, you have to kind of like adjust the yeah. pitch when, when you're moving on to another culture, which is yeah. the English language. So in order, you know, not to sound harsh or just like, I don't know, maybe, you know, like not sound good. I mean, you yeah. really had to tune in the pitch and and he was great at that. And so we, we worked together and, and it was great because I absolutely love him and, He's he's fantastic. He's he. I mean, he has he writes great prose. He wrote this book called American Messiahs. So he, you know, he knows a lot about like arcane Americana.
0: Wow, amazing! And so, will you be taking your book to festivals this summer? Is that part of your plan, or oh, I is it COVID I dependent? Mean, if, if
1: any festival would have me, because well,
0: I can <laughs> I can definitely invite you to one.
1: <laughs> I, to. I, I can bring the cake. And <laughs> oh well, then you're <laughs> definitely coming. Headline slot, <laughs>
0: amazing. Okay, well let's We're talk going about that. To the, to the
1: Edinburgh Literary
2: Festival in
1: August. Okay, cool. Um, and that's super,
2: I'm super excited about that because I've never been to Scotland. Oh, it's beautiful. Edinburgh is absolutely beautiful as well, mm. and the festival is so good. But Primadonna mm. Festival is also good, and it's on cool. the, the end of July.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk. Okay. Let's move on to your, um, your three things for creating the world as it should be, um, which is what we're all about. Do you want to um, explain the first one and talk us through it?
1: The first one, oh, to end the dictatorships in, in Venezuela and in Nicaragua and in Cuba. Six million people have fled Venezuela so far. I mean, we have engineers that are making odd jobs or cleaning toilets. Uh, in different parts of Latin America, even here in Spain. Um, and of course, in Cuba, this has been happening since the 60s or before. Nicaragua was jailing writers. But the thing is, well, nobody has nothing to win anymore by saying, you know, this has to stop. It's like really like bad publicity for the US, for example, to stage a coup or things like that, like what they used to do in the 70s. So I don't know, maybe an alien abduction. I, I have no idea. <laughs>
0: How much does that impact on you growing up and your and your kind of understanding of politics and um
1: well um the crisis of venezuela is very um it's very clear to us it has been very clear since uh since the uh, i mean two thousand and tens for example i mean people have been fledging fledging from there and 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 staying in argentina so like everybody you you would meet who works uh like you know are, are Venezuelans and and I, I mean I work as a journalist. I know a lot of people who can't um who can't have works anymore, who just I mean right. have been I mean pers- I mean persecuted or like I mean like I mean threats to kill them and etc and had to leave. And in the same time at the same time I'm I'm also in touch with with Cuban women journalists who suffer a lot, for example, they are sieged in their own houses. They cannot leave their houses for days and days because there is police outside that would take them to jail. Like throughout for example, during this whole year in Cuba, there have been manifestations saying um, patria y vida, which means like life and and country, if you like, and because, because one of the, what, I mean, one of the slogans, the horrible slogans of, of this, um, this, these are populist regimes that have turned into dictatorships. So these are like left, left, uh, discoursed, uh, governance that have, you know, that, that in the case of Cuba are there since, you know, since the revolution, but in the case of, of Venezuela, they stage fake elections and they keep winning them all the time. It's a government that basically has the control of the military forces. And so, I mean, so the civilian population has absolutely, they cannot do absolutely anything. And and just to tell you one thing, for example, like Nicolás Maduro, he, he was a truck driver. I mean, and I'm sure that there are many amazing and brilliant drivers, but not, I mean, but not really, it's it's not like the, the kind of person you would like, you know, running the country uh, and also, you know, for like 10 or 15 years without no map whatsoever of what they're going to do. And just, you know, um, I mean, being super rich, I mean, they're absolute millionaires while people are starving. So that's also the issue. Like people are starving in Cuba, people are starving in Venezuela, and this is why they're they're just running away. I mean, they cannot have their lives there anymore. And so it's splitting families, it's, it's a whole drama.
2: And when did you become aware, like your, your childhood growing up in Argentina, when did you first start to become well interested and aware of what was happening and asking questions?
1: Well, I, I think I was interested in what was happening in Cuba since very early on because, um, well, when... when when I, when I was born, for example, my aunt she was a fighter for the revolution, right? So she was a guerrilla. So she had be, she disappeared for some time during the dictatorship, and then she appeared. Wow. So my family was always connected with some leftism discourse you know, with, with the bad parts and the good parts of it. I mean, the the interest, you know, in in making the world a better place, but at the same time, like all the dark side connected to that. So we would like, we would see like (laughs) that even though there was this like benevolent discourse towards Cuba as this amazing place that fights capitalism, where every, you know, where communism reign and and everybody has access to the same things, what was actually not real that, you know, I would, I, I, I went to Cuba and, and I don't know. I mean, little girls are, are getting prostituted on the streets just to, you know, for a little soap. It's just, it's harrowing. And this has been harrowing for just so long that people tend to forget. But this these are generations um, that, that are being destroyed by this regime. And it's basically the same thing it's, it's, um, it's a government that is in control of the military forces and the civilians. Well, you know, you have to suck it up or do whatever the regime wants and, you know, be, I mean, adulate the regime, say that they're wonderful. And, and that's the only way for you to survive. And so there are, there are all these women um, journalists that are like, no, this is an absolute patriarchal system where, where women have no right to, are not given any voice, are not given any freedom. And, and they, I mean, in my, I mean, my friends, they cannot leave their house. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's quite terrible. How is it for male journalists? Is it very different? No, no. A lot of a lot of people in culture have been making like hunger strikes, for example, just to be heard. But the thing is, the government cuts down the internet, so we don't have we don't know anymore. So this this has been like massive massive walk, saying like we have to revolutionize the revolution. We have to change, you know, what what was maybe good, maybe. 50 years ago it's not good anymore we're like we're starving i mean like please let's let's change this and and they they just wouldn't listen to that and and they would jail people they would jail like you know very young people like adolescents and and now we, we don't know that much because they just you know they just cut the internet so mm-hmm. and so that's what they do basically the the story winds down people forget about it and because, yeah, you, you, you need like news all the time, people all the time talking about this.
0: Do you still um, write, you still investigate, you still report um, as a journalist on these things or you've moved away from, from that kind of work?
1: No, well, I, I write a column for um, uh, in La Nación about like political matters in Argentina. Uh, now it's the summer, <laughs> so, so people are,
0: are, aren't doing it, aren't doing that, but I'm, I'm coming back in March. Right. Um, It's interesting. It's interesting what you say about the power of the, you know, that power of communication being so crucial underpinning these like strongman regimes, you know, Bolsonaro and Putin and Trump, who's now happily been deposed. Um, Do you feel optimistic that, you know, we, we, the, we, the people and the kind of myriad ways that we can communicate now can kind of figure out clever ways of stepping by that, that, that cutting off of communications?
1: I think it's the only thing that that I mean that is left for us, unfortunately. Mm. And that for that reason, it's we have to use it. Like mm. it's, it's our only weapon to talk mm. about it, to to like keep raising awareness about it. To I don't know to make people know that 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 no, it's I mean populism is not a nice thing to have in Latin America. <laughs> I mean. <Yes. laughs> It's just not, it's, it's not a viable regime, it's not, it's not an option. I, I feel like people just like talk so simplistically. I mean, my Cuban friends, for example, when they listen to Lady Gaga saying like, capitalism is so bad for women. i like, <laughs> really? I mean, like, you're completely, you're out swimming in millions of dollars and like you're, yeah. you are saying that capitalism is bad. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's outrageous. What yeah. these people want, in fact, is 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 the possibility to live like using their work and their talent, and they're denied that possibility. That's why yeah. they have to flee, because the only the only thing that you can do is abide by what but what the state says and say yes, yes, my leader, yes, you are absolutely yeah. right, and the, and 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 then maybe they'll give you a little bread. It's awful.
0: Right. There's a great line in Mona that I pulled out when I was reading it because it made me think about this and your work your other work as a journalist and the the line is whatever distance we can put between ourselves and hatred that's freedom that's all the freedom we're likely to get so basically you're kind of talking about i think or maybe you know you tell me what you're talking about in that quote and 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 more largely what we're talking about now
1: Well, I I feel that, that, yeah, there are all these discourses of hatred that are a way to disembody societies from their connection to their collective soul. It's just, it's excruciating how they tear up our societies completely. Um, I've seen that happening in Argentina, for example, because where where the government has a very strong uh, discourse against journalists, for example, saying that they are the new, that the, the, I mean, Christina, Christina Kirchner, the vice president, said like um, a month ago or so. She said that back in the '70s, the dictatorship had uh, people torturing, but now it's much easier because the new torturers are the journalists with their pens and with their media. So she basically equated. I mean I mean of course she was absolutely banalizing the horrors of the dictatorship, but at the same time putting the journalists in the position of the enemies of the yeah. state, the enemies of Argentina, which is a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Because it can arouse, you know, a lot of hate I mean a lot of hatred in yeah. civilians saying like, Oh, you are my enemy now because you yeah. criticize the government.
0: And, yeah. and that is really that's what Trump did, isn't it? He made absolutely. he made the, the enemy absolutely
1: yeah. another populist. But this is like yeah. left I mean, it's a populism, but you know, with a left with a leftist discourse, it's the same kind of problem. Mm. I, but mm. I mean, my friends at La Nacion, I mean, they had like their tires broken, like inside inside of the of the newspaper. Imagine that. So like, there's yeah. this is constant constant threats and constant. On, this, on the one side, the threats, and on the other side, the threat like giving out money, like actual money, to the people that are nice to them. So mm-hmm. if you are poor, if you don't have like a lot of opportunities, if you're like, well, you know, I have like this job, what can I do? Yeah, okay, I'm going to, if you want me to say beautiful things about you, government, okay, I'll say them. So that's a situation. That's how you fuel hatred at the same time, because you buy out a lot of people while you threaten and menace those wouldn't you know wouldn't bother I mean wouldn't abide to that or are stronger Mm -hmm. for any for any other reasons yeah so Mona is is actually doing that life that I that path of life that I didn't take and so she she's actually there she's working there and I and I lived there for like four years or so which was during the it was the tramp years Um, which was, was incredible because again, an enemy, it was, you know, it was a person of color, which I didn't know by then because in Latin America, we don't, and in Europe, people don't use them. So for me, it was like, I take a plane, I get inside the States and I become a person of color. I take the same plane back, back out. I just crossed the frontier and I'm not a person of colors, And maybe something ontologically changed in me, uh, <laughs> that made me a person of color in that place in there. I don't know, but well, uh, and so it was super interesting to realize that I was this person of color, that there were, you know, things that were expected of me. And there was like a, a role that I was supposed to play in this host new society that I have, that I had. Uh, that I was in. And so this, this was a lot of inspiration for Mona as well, because uh, um, I realized that, um, that in a way um, you're in, you're, you're, you're typically, I mean, you're asked to do some lip service to the society that is your host, mm-hmm. because this, this makes, you know, the society that is the host, like feel like so generous and, and, and wonderful. Like, look, we also have some People of color here talking, like, look at that. How amazing <laughs> is that? Um, but at the same time, like, it, like you wouldn't really, you weren't really asked to talk about literature. It was always like, well, so from your position of a Latin American woman, person of color, etc., is there anything you, you'd like, uh, like a little footnote that you'd like to say? So people weren't talking about literature anymore. Literature was still like reserved for, you know, the, the old man, uh, you know, with the white bears, etc. I think that is changing. But at the same time, it's, I think it's a fun uh, conversation to have. Um, like, what, what, is, what is expected of us as, as people of colour?
0: I really like the idea of moving across a boundary and, and becoming a different ethnicity as well. It's a brilliant kind of visual. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, let's move on to your, your second change. Do you want to explain that to us?
1: Make Latin mandatory in state-run primary schools, and then move on to include ancient Greek. I think this would provide a lot of work for literary people, and the society would be definitely enriched, because we would be less prone to be engulfed by politicians who use Latinate constructions as a way of something cultivated or clever. I, I mean, for example, like Boris
0: Johnson, he does it all the time. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the minute you say that, I, I you hear like children across the country go, "No, <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> idea ever." But then you counter it by saying, "But then you would you would be able to counter bluster the nonsense of Boris Johnson and and Jacob Rees-Mogg, and so they'd be like, Okay, yeah, I am I mean, so yeah, carry on.'"
1: Yeah, like, anybody can be, like, like their own, like, uh, Latin Superman. And, 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 and truly, I think the humanities are going to be more and more important as artificial intelligence advance and keep on, and as software itself, like, keeps rolling over the world. Um, because there's one thing that the uh, intel- artificial intelligence, like, won't figure out on their own is, like, is the past. Is intricacies of human behavior, and it's all those things that are trapped, and that are coded inside, uh, inside Latin, inside the classics, inside ancient Greek, and inside you know all you know the, the richness of Romance mm. languages as well. Because mm. when you learn Latin, then it's much easier to to learn you know the Romance languages.
2: So, how do you think society would change? What difference would you see if we did bring Latin back and ancient Greek?
1: It would change us a lot because a lot of people would have, like, I, I mean, for example, you um, would have people teaching Latin, everybody would be like, oh, like feeling the yum," you know, inside of them. It's the same way as they feel Shakespeare. They would feel like, oh, it's the innate. And this would create, like, you know, like a, a special music throughout the UK, throughout, throughout Europe, truly. Um, and I, I think it we'll would be really special and I think we will be like better better equipped to deal with with artificial intelligence in the end with, with I mean with the with the further
0: development of, of the world in, in in its technical sense I love it I love the idea of it I look like yeah you're putting me in mind of that Odysseus, mate yeah no no. <laughs> Be amazing. Conversation would be so much more rich. <laughs> <laughs> I just you you mentioned AI then, and there's a there's a, a section in, in, in Mona where you talk or the characters talk, or some of the characters talk about AI and they the theoretical possibility of of a robot being able to write a novel. Um, and I think the date in the book is something very near, like twenty forty eight. They've kind of is that a, is that a real piece of research or is that poetic license by the author?
1: Oh no! A a lot of people are are um, are are toying with that possibility uh, of of entire books of fiction uh, written by um, by artificial intelligences. Most, I mean, many artificial intelligences are now being trained to imitate the classics. You, You can see that the machine has something like that that can be likened to an imagination because like weird things are out, are out there that were not like proposed by men. And so it's like in these like tiny moments, it's like, well, the computer is doing something as thinking as imagining a possibility. So that's kind of, kind of beautiful. But yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that, that, that this character, uh, was a Colombian writer who likes, um, to talk about like technology and it's kind of like his thing. Um, he's, he, thinks that uh, Google is, you know, a a great novel. So everybody's kind of like working as, you know, as a character that types itself up, you know, in the novel. So that you have, you have Facebook, you have like all these places, like little outlets where everybody plays their character in this like massive novel uh, where where people like try to do, try to be likable. It's as if it, I mean, it was like the biggest uh, representation effort of mankind, uh, to to have like this absolute massive novel. So in a way, there is already a novel going on that we're all like partaking, that we're all participating in. And and yes, and 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 then there then there are these other uh, experiments of people saying like, well, I mean, let's do this like young adults, etc. That would have to have this kind of, I mean, for example, is I mean, a lot of people like measure how long the attention span is sustained. So a computer could definitely do that. Okay. So it's like five minutes of attention. Then if it drops, you have to do this, then you have to do this other thing in order to keep like the attention going. But I mean, this is just part of, um, I don't know of understanding how cognition works. And it's kind of like, it, it's interesting to, to also think about novels in that sense. It's not-
0: so, um, do you, do you speak Latin and Greek or, or either of them
1: Oh no, of course not. I, I don't. I don't. Not, neither Latin nor Greek. I, but I, I did study them a little bit when, when I was when I was at school, and, and I also I always felt like oh, this is so beautiful, and, and it made me think so much. Like it made me it awakened you know this, the idea of syntax in me. I was like, oh my god, there's subjects and predicates, and before that, I haven't really feel them in my own language, just because like, you seen them in this other language. It's just, I mean, it becomes like so much beautiful, and um, so, so I don't know. So when I don't know, I was going to to school, and they they were had there was some Latin going on, and
0: yeah, and it
1: was good for for your math skills as well. It was it was kind yeah. of like it was something that vertebrated everything. And even if it feels like very outlandish and yeah. very antiquated, it's it's quite beautiful. So let's do it, right. Boris. If you could do it, we can all do it.
0: Well, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. I think Latin probably is mandatory in private schools here. Um, it's just that state schools don't get it. So you, you've you've nailed that in your in your request. Um, and also, kids like myths and legends is like the stuff of kids' dreams. You know, like all the all the tale, all the you know the iconography and the stories would be would be a it'd be the most popular teacher in school. I love it. it would be so right. beautiful, exactly. Um, let's move on to your final um, change, which is. Um, well, it's pretty out there. So just just tell, tell us what you, what it is.
1: I think we should put together a space elevator that allows us to build the necessary infrastructure to become an interplanetary species. <laughs> Simple.
2: Love it. I mean, where did this come from? Well, I mean,
1: you know, the climate, cha- the, the climate crisis is real and we are fighting the climate change. But at the same time, we also need to keep growing economically if we want to take people out of poverty and and if we want to keep having, you know, jobs and things to do and et cetera, like, so, so these two things cannot go together because I mean, they would obliterate each other. So in order to keep growing, we need to create the world outside of the planet. So if we build a space elevator, this would allow us to kind of like to take a train to, I mean, to lower orbit. I'm not saying Jupiter. I'm saying lower orbit, where where the space stations are. There are different space stations already, but if there is a space elevator created, this would allow us to to create the infrastructure because you know you know you need to. I mean, there's a lot of lithium outside. There are a lot of like rare metals that are worth so much money. And so um, and so, if this space elevator is created then it would be much easier to kind of like hey you take a train to this to the space station and from there you can like go like and start like mining stuff to to bring the metals down and so you bring out the gdp of the earth into lower orbit instead of like making the gdp inside of the yeah. earth and and then destroying the amazons for example because you know if we keep having economic like very strong and growing yeah. economical growth we're going to destroy the planet
0: this is a really well thought out and reasonable argument, but what's happening in my head is that I, I just can. What look it looks like in a shopping centre, just an endless escalator going up with just a person in a spacesuit
2: <laughs> just stand, standing patiently. I also think space elevator sounds really quite sexy, but in the UK we would call it a space lift. Lift
0: is actually more airy. I think it should be renamed space lift. Right, I've gone straight to escalator. That's what I... That's, escalator. that's what's in my head. I mean, that would take years. That's what I thought. That's why I was like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I mean, Catherine, you're not in blue water. You need, think That's what I mean. It, in my head, it's like we're in blue water with a really big, steep thing going up forever. Okay. Really right. so, yeah. so it's more Willy Wonka. It's like the chocolate factory, the lift going out of the top of the chocolate factory. That's, yes. that's a better visual for me. Yeah. If that doesn't help anyone else (laughs) excellent have you thought about um this probably isn't on your in part of your business plan but but this is where i've also gone like into into breed into species breeding and what attributes we are looking for as a species what we might be able to offer passing aliens is that part of what you've thought about with this
1: well i'm definitely interested in that (laughs) (laughs) we would definitely have to yeah to, to send out some, some, some very eligible, uh, <sighs> humans to see what's going on because maybe if they mate with an alien species, we would have the solution to the, to the, to end the dictatorship in Cuba and Venezuela and etc because it would be just aliens, you know, at the end of the day. And they would just like, you know, overthrow the, those governments and, and free the people there and, and hopefully also put like a, a nice, uh, human loving, uh, government. And maybe speaking Latin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, have you got any candidates for going, you know, the, the first breeders? Who would we send up?
2: Really, we could
0: send a little: no, I, no, I, I, no, yeah, Because yeah. you said the best of our species and that's yeah.
2: that... <laughs> the very best. <laughs> yeah, but, then, but then he doesn't come back. Like he just stays there.
1: Well, I guess I guess we had to mend between ourselves. Okay, we do. Like,
0: <laughs> oh, I see. It's all a devious plot to put them in the elevator and send them off. I love it.
1: <laughs> well, I, I read that so many women are so uh, interested in him.
0: I read, I read in the UK press. Did, that, like, did he write that? He might have written that. It's one of the wonders of the world. It's a great unsolved mystery: how he's managed to have so many children with so many women. <laughs> Anyway, Um, I like it. I'm sold. (laughs) I'm completely sold on this idea. Brilliant. Um, on that note, <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on the show. What have you got lined up next? What are you doing? I know you've got to take the pavlova out of the oven, but on a, a longer scale.
1: Um, I Well, we're doing a show uh, at Open Book with the BBC uh, with Valerie Miles, who's a fantastic translator. She's translating Great. Borges. And, and I think that should be coming up like, in two weeks or so. Um, Great. Yeah.
0: Yes. yeah,
1: and I, and I really can't wait to, to go back to London so, so hopefully. great well we can't
0: wait to have you yeah and really really good luck with the book launch and, and everything yes. that happens and it was after.
2: published yesterday I think was not it yes yes it just came
0: out congratulations it's yes, fantastic it's a fantastic book all right thank you again thank you thank you for having me The world as it should be from Prima Donna <acronyms> The world as it should be 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 from Prima Donna